Welcome back to another edition of the podcast. I'm your host, Michael Pagani, joined alongside Brandon Wheat King's play-by-play, Brandon Crow. Brandon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you again for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully, I've got uh, decent service here. I'm out at uh, I'm out at the cabin, and uh, I know it's not the greatest service, but I got the the cell phone booster in the house here, and hopefully, uh, you guys can can hear me. Well, I can hear you quite fine, so we are good to go from that aspect. My first question to you today is that, you know, a lot of people have been, have turned on Netflix during this quarantine. What have you been doing? Uh, what have you kept yourself up to? Well, I, I'd be lying if I said I didn't watch quite a few hours of Netflix. I definitely uh, binged the Tiger King series, uh, which was just pure insanity. Uh, we rewatched, uh, well, what did we watch? We rewatched Breaking Bad, uh, you know, all sorts of goodies, but, uh, luckily it's summertime. I, I live out in the country, uh, on a small kind of little, uh, parcel of land. We got some animals and, uh, a few, uh, a few hours a day of, uh, different yard work and stuff. So luckily I've been, I've been pretty lucky to be outside for most of it and not cooped up, uh, you know, in a small apartment or anything like that. So it's, it's been good. That Tiger King series was, I think, the definition of what a roller coaster is. I mean, my God. Yeah, I would agree that, I mean, I couldn't stop because I felt like it, it just hooked you in. I, and I mean, part of it, who knows what's believable, what isn't, what was truthful, what was made up. But still, it made for good TV anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. And it hooked a lot of viewers. And, it, you know, I think another show that hooked a lot of viewers was The Last Dance because of uh, Michael oh, Jordan, yes. you know, because uh, it definitely took... Uh, a lot of us, the viewers, on what goes on behind the scenes during an NBA season. Yeah, and I'm not a – I mean, I, I'm a sports fan, but I'm not a huge basketball fan. Yeah, I mean, same. I certainly jumped on board when the Raptors uh, went on their run here last last year, but I'm not a huge basketball fan. Like, I don't necessarily follow it closely, regularly, you know, whatever's on Sports Center in the morning. But, uh, you know, the, the last dance, I, that was just unbelievable. I mean, I, I remember – I mean, obviously, growing up in that era, I don't – I remember, I remember it being a big thing, but I don't remember it, you know, as intensely as, as this helped me relive. So like most people my age, uh, it was really cool to see and all the vintage footage and the behind the scenes stuff from a sports perspective was just, it was unreal. And, and I hope, I heard that they're working on one uh, with Tiger Woods as a subject and, and another one with Lance Armstrong as a subject. So if that is the case, uh, they've got, uh, they got me hooked for a couple more series for sure. Well, I think they should definitely use this as a plateau level for what the expectation is expected out of, you know, like you mentioned, uh, Lance Armstrong or a Tiger Woods. Oh, yeah. I think the success they had with it, like I remember just before COVID uh, kind of hit and took over and everybody was working from home, uh, I had heard, I think it was on the Jay and Dan podcast, uh, that uh, ESPN and Netflix were was doing uh, The Last Dance and they were going to be uh, apparently, originally, it was just to be viewed on ESPN, but when oh. people in Canada caught wind of it, I mean, most people in Canada, unless you have a pretty big cable package, don't have ESPN, so then they they took to social media and said, like, how can we see this? You know, Netflix teamed up, jumped on board, brought it to us Canadians kind of a week after it aired on ESPN in the States, and uh, it turned into a really big hit, so I think they're on to something. And have you been watching any sports that have returned? Uh, yeah, I, I've been watching uh, a, a lot of PGA stuff. Uh, I work uh, some, some part-time hours out at the golf course uh, just to kill a bit of time here during COVID, and they've always got it on the TV. So uh, I've been watching it a little more intently than I normally would have, probably because 
I mean, usually I was the type of guy to maybe watch the, the final round of, you know, tournaments and stuff on a Sunday afternoon. But uh, now that there's really no other sports, it's kind of the only thing worth following. So, uh, you know, yesterday I was watching a little bit of the Memorial and uh, probably watched a little bit of the final round tomorrow as well. And, but other than that, I mean, I'm not a big soccer guy. I've watched a little bit of NASCAR, but uh, it'll certainly be nice when sports get going again. How has your perception on the coronavirus changed uh, since it first really came a thing in March? Well, I think unlike unlike most people, probably in your area, because you're based where? Southern, Southern Ontario? Yeah, we're, I'm based in the GTA, Burlington, Ontario. Burlington. I knew a fellow from Burlington. Yeah, I think he works at the radio station down there anyway. <laughs> um, we always used to bug him about it being the home of the coat factory, although I'm sure you've heard that joke <laughs> over and over again. Um, but anyway, um, comparatively to where you are, the COVID situation hasn't really hit Manitoba to the certain level it has in other provinces. Uh, I think because of our remoteness and the fact that we only have you know, two or three major cities and they're all very, very spread out, um, it, it's kept things pretty nicely controlled and contained uh I, I feel like manitobans have done a really good job of of just you know being smart nobody's gotten carried away uh but you know people are being smarter you know washing your hands more and restaurants are installing uh, foot openers on doors so you use your shoes to open restaurant oh, doors bathroom doors and things yeah really smart actually i can't believe I didn't think of that before um but no I, I think it's not i've tried not to watch the news as much because it, it seems so dark and gloomy when they talk about what's going on in the U.S. or even in the Toronto area, Quebec, that sort of thing. So we're pretty lucky where we are here that, you know, for example, this weekend, you know, there's eight or ten of us uh, up here at a cabin you know, sitting around a bonfire out in the boat fishing. And, you know, we don't really have to worry about it as much. Um, we're still, you know, taking precautions and, and not getting carried away. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's different here than it is anywhere else. So have most of the things started to reopen? Have you been able to experience some sort of uh, a normal life? Yeah, it's, I would say it has. Uh, you know, in our little town, uh, I live about 40 minutes outside of Brandon where, where the Wheat Kings are, are um, you know, call their home. And so, you know, my town's probably, I don't know, maybe 3,000 people, maybe if that. Um, and all the stores are, are back open again. And, um, you know, the post office is you know, probably the one place where you see it the most, they've got two doors, one where you can go in and get your mail. Uh, and the other one where you have to wait in line outside to pick up, say your Amazon parcel or something you've ordered online. Uh, so sometimes when you drive down the street, if it's kind of on an Amazon delivery day, there'll be five or 10 people lined up on the sidewalk outside because they don't allow everybody in. But right, yeah. um, other than that, like grocery stores are kind of back to normal. Um, but of course, everybody's got the hand sanitizers and the towels and everything at the doors and people are just a little bit smarter. But you know, from where we are, restaurants are open almost to full capacity, if not three quarters. Um, sports facilities are opening back up. Rinks are opening back up. There's some hockey schools taking place. Uh, some AAA summer hockey tournaments are starting to get underway. I know minor baseball is going, senior baseball is going. So, um, you know, it's still a little strange at times when you go down to the ball diamond and, and they moved all the bleachers, um, hoping that people don't sit together um, and that sort of thing. But, uh, excuse me, other than that, it's slowly starting to come back to life. Do you think players in the WHL would have some sort of advantage over players, let's say, in the QMJHL and, OG, QMJHL and OHL? Because you mentioned that, you know, rings are starting to open back up. So, you know, someone on the Brandon Weekings, like a Ridley Grieg, might take advantage of that. 
Yeah, uh, maybe. Um, I don't really know if, yeah, I, I don't really know how that all is going to play out because, you know, from a travel perspective, you know, the Ontario Hockey League is very condensed. It's all in one area and yeah. there's very little travel outside. I mean, what do you got? You got Saginaw, Flint, and is there any other American teams? Who am I missing? Uh, Saginaw, Flint. Oh, and Erie, Erie, Erie. Oh, yeah, Erie Otters, correct. So you've got three teams in the U.S., which, you know, is, is probably the biggest issue the Western League's facing right now with five teams in yeah. the U.S. So, you know, I, I think, for example, the, the players uh, born in Manitoba that are currently living in Manitoba um, and Saskatchewan even, and Alberta to a certain extent, maybe not as much BC, they're still kind of slower going in the reopening. But I know there's guys, for example, uh, defenseman Chad Nychuk, uh, he is skating in Verdon uh, this week. That's where, that's my hometown. Uh, the rink's open and uh, Patty Hole is a uh, former Olympic skating coach. She runs a hockey uh, school and skating school for a bunch of junior guys and they're on the ice already. So there might be some individualized players that are going to get a bit of an edge because of where they live and being in Manitoba and Saskatchewan, as opposed to guys that are in the GTA or, you know, in Quebec or bigger centers. Uh, but as for a team advantage, probably not. Cause I don't think the Western hockey League is going to let teams get together anytime soon, but you're, you're probably right that some of these guys in the West are going to be on the ice and working out sooner than some of the guys in Ontario. Now, we did talk about this a bit off camera, but you do uh, do some uh, service with the fire department in your area. Uh, you know, a huge kudos to you. A lot of respect is earned because you have been working during this coronavirus pandemic. I must ask, like, how busy are you during the season with your play-by-play? -play? And then your off-season must be completely, you know, busy as well. Well, it's pretty – I mean, it's, it's an interesting balance. It's something I started – um, about five years ago, uh, when I was in Melford, Saskatchewan, which is a, it was a junior A stop for me, um, home of, uh, it's where Willie Mitchell played his junior and Andrew Slenfetetenko, former Pittsburgh Penguins, Stanley Cup champion. Uh, those, those guys played there and as I'd spent five years up there working and, um, you know, the team always had a great relationship with the fire department, whether it be, you know, training or, or certain, kind of team building type days as sometimes you see pro teams doing that sort of thing. And I kind of got interested in it a little bit and, and they talked me into, you know, jumping on as a, it's kind of a volunteer recruit. And, and I kind of took that a little further and, and got involved there. And then when I moved back to Manitoba, um, I, I had to, I, I just wanted to keep going. So I, I've really, uh, really expanded on my um, resume from, from an emergency services perspective, uh, just finished my, uh, my level one certification, which is like North America's kind of standard for uh, firefighters. So all across Canada and the U.S. Um, got to, been taking some other courses. So we do a great job of training our guys, uh, doing specialized things, whether it be you know, vehicle extrication for car accidents to farm accident rescue to all sorts of water and ice rescue and that sort of thing. We're, we're located on a pretty busy highway uh, with a couple of bodies of water around. So you never know what you're going to run into. And, um, you know, a bunch of us ended up getting our uh, emergency medical responder certification as well. So we can basically uh, do, uh, you know, advanced medical care as well if, if needed. So uh, it's kind of a fun, I, I don't want to call it a hobby because it's, it's maybe a little more than that, but, uh, it can be busy. Uh, I know that the summer for me, I commit a lot more of my time to it than I can in the winter being away so much. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I work whenever I can and, and get there whenever I can. And 
Um, certainly try not to miss any of the special training events and that sort of thing. But it, it is odd. I, it has happened a couple of times uh, where my phone, which is, we have an app, which basically dispatches you to an emergency. It's gone off a couple of times while I'm doing play-by-play. And uh, it's kind of hard and distracting to keep doing the game and try and shut off your phone and then the alarm going off. And then you're curious as to what's going on, which guys are working and that sort of thing. So you kind of get distracted a little bit, but it's fun. It's, it, I don't know how much longer I can do both. It's a tough balancing act, but uh, so far it's, it's been pretty fun. How do you make sure that the alert doesn't affect the play-by-play? Well, I, that's only happened a couple of times. Uh, I, I try and now, uh, see before I, I never, uh, muted any of the notifications because I wanted them on loud and, you know, in case my phone was somewhere I had to hear it. Um, but then I realized, you know, after the first time it happened in the rink that, you know, my, my phone was sitting on the, you know, the desk in the play by play booth, you know, people could hear the alarms going off and that sort of thing. So I've been a lot more cognitive of making sure that, uh, you know, my phone is either in my coat pocket and turned to silent or kind of off somewhere uh they have added a feature to the app now where if you're away for a certain period of time uh, whether it be on a family holiday or you're working another job or doing whatever you can set your status as away oh, that's and good. then you don't get those notifications so thankfully when the app updated that's given me a little bit of uh comfort and if i just flip that to i'm away uh, it doesn't happen so uh, it only happened a couple of times and uh, both times, uh, luckily, it wasn't really noticed by anybody in the public. So, was there someone who influenced you to start getting it, uh, to start for you to get into sports journalism? Oh boy, uh, probably. It's not really anybody in specific. Um, I know that um, you know, growing up where I did, we were right on the the U.S. border, and uh, my I had a little old kind of AM/FM radio, and I could pick up all sorts of U.S. Uh, sports stations especially uh, ESPN 710 in Bismarck North Dakota so they they carried all the Minnesota Twins Vikings and Wild games so at night if I could get the antenna set right I could listen to you know whatever sport happened to be on that night even the Timberwolves had uh, you know some radio play-by-play on there and that kind of piqued my interest at a young age and and then listening to Jerry Howarth do some Blue Jays games on that same little uh, AM FM radio I kind of thought well this is kind of fun this is neat I could do this and I realized at an early age I wasn't good enough to play the sports at a high level so I thought hey this might be my next next path to get there so what university did you attend uh, I went to uh, a smaller uh, broadcasting school in Brandon actually called the Cinnaboyne Community College they had a they it's not there well this college is there but the program uh, isn't there anymore. Um, they kind of tweaked it and changed it when some new uh, some new educators came in and, and some new funding and that sort of thing. But anyway, there was a, a whole crew of us that ended up uh, getting a ton of great uh, media jobs uh, out of that course, uh, including uh, a number of morning show guys, uh, a bunch of TV guys. Uh, there's, it's, it was a really good uh, program that turned out a ton of talent. So I was lucky to get in in one of the last classes before they, they changed it to more of a interactive media type thing. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was two years real quick and I got a job right out of it. So how did you get your foot into the sports industry? Cause you know, with me, I'm doing this podcast. So how did you get your foot into the door? Uh, well, actually when I was in college, um, I had seen, saw uh, an ad in the local paper, they were looking for college and university students to join the game day staff of the Wheat Kings. 
And so I called in. I thought, well, this would be neat. What, what do I got to do? And they were looking for staff to say, you know, shoot the T-shirt cannon and, you know, give out prizes and, you know, skate on the ice with these shovels. You know, that kind of that kind of staff that you see at games. Um, and you only worked a couple nights a week and, you know, they paid you 30 bucks cash or whatever. And uh, I ended up getting hired and I did that for two years. And the second year I was there was the year that Brandon hosted the Memorial Cup. So I was lucky in that sense that I got to meet a few people in, in the league and kind of rub elbows with a few people in the organization early uh, to get me started. And then my first job was in, uh, in Saskatchewan uh, where I met a couple more, you know, good people and it ultimately led to, to doing some university football and then into hockey. And then ultimately when it, the job opened up back in Brandon, you know, I already had a connection with the team from previous employment and it was uh, you know, pretty easy transition. So it's less about, um, you know, what, you know, and, and a lot more about who, you know, and I, that's something I've had to learn uh, over the years. How did that prior experience that you just mentioned help you set up for where you are today? Well, you learn early that how many people it takes to, to run a hockey game. I mean, for any, you know, Joe Schmo that just buys a ticket and sits down, you know, you, you watch your game, you eat your popcorn, you go home. You don't really think about what all goes into it. But, you know, when you're on the game day staff, you realize how much goes into it, how many people are involved. You know, on the hockey side, you got the equipment guys, the trainers, the, the uh, building side, you got the Zamboni guys, the ice guys, the, you know, the guys – cleaning the building you got everything you got the fan services people you you realize early on that there's uh, everybody has to be pulling the rope uh, in the right direction to make a a junior hockey game go um, well and I think that was the biggest thing was you learn all the little jobs uh, you learn how to do them uh, and you kind of learn that everybody's got to be on the right right side of it and that's kind of something that I've carried forward to even now you know uh, I may be the the radio guy, but uh, you know I'm not afraid to unpack the bus or help the equipment guys pack sticks or do whatever because you know everybody's all pulling for the same cause. What were some of the bumps in the road that you encountered, and how did you overcome those uh, you know bumps? Well, I think early on you get a lot of, and you'll and you'll find this as you kind of get into the industry a little bit, is that. Um, not everyone's going to like you. Uh, not everyone's going to like how you sound or, or what you say or how you do it or your style. And um, you got to learn quickly to let that roll off your back. You can't, you can't let it get to you or it'll, uh, it'll really bother, bother you and, and could, you know, get into your head on game day or, you know, during a newscast or sportscast or whatever it is you're doing. So for me, it was, you know, early on getting some flack, you know, about my style or how I said stuff. And uh, that was probably the biggest thing. And, you know, just talking to older guys, um, you know, don't be afraid to reach out to older guys that have been doing it for a long time and ask them their thoughts. They're usually willing to help. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of good mentors, Rod Peterson, the voice of the riders for the longest time, and a bunch of guys in the league uh, around the Western Hockey League have been really good at kind of guiding us young guys on. And, you know, I'll be going into my fifth season. uh, And, you know, in the last four years, I can't count on – I can count – I can't count it on my hands and, and toes how many times I've reached out to guys and said, Hey, this is, this is bothering me. What, what should I do here? And uh, it's kind of a neat little club. Once you get in, uh, you got, you know, I consider I got 22 other broadcasters that are good friends and uh, we stay in touch in a big group chat. So it's, it's pretty good that way uh, when it comes to overcoming hurdles and things. 
And I think that just, it comes when, uh, and I think like you mentioned with everyone not liking your style, it kind of starts out like that, you know, and then people, uh, when they start tuning in more, they kind of get used to it. Um, Especially you know? if you're replacing somebody that, you know, if you're coming in like I was to Brandon, replacing a guy who'd been doing it for over 20 years, all right, mm -hmm. they get used to one voice. So when you come in and you don't sound the same or you do things differently, people don't like that. So it's a big adjustment, but you just got to put your head down and keep going, right? Because as we speak, you know, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes broadcaster, John Forslund, who's been with the team for almost three decades, still hasn't got his contract renewed. So there will be some flack with the new guy that may come in to replace him. Yeah, I, and that one really uh, kind of gets, gets my blood boiling a little bit because, I mean, if you look at his body of work, I mean – the fans love him and just look oh, at I know. on social media. I mean, if you type his name in, in social media right now on, on Twitter, I mean, the, the hurricanes fans and just hockey fans in general, you don't even have to be a hurricanes fan. Um, you know, people that were fans of the Hartford whalers, you know, and, and other NHL on NBC and other things he's done. Um, you know, I think it's strange that, you know, coming in as the new owner, uh, the new ownership group in Carolina, they made some cuts, they cut some, some positions they went away from radio they made their longtime radio guy retire basically and john yeah. forzen was doing tv and radio in a simulcast and now they're looking to go a different direction i mean it's tough but you know i get it it's business and things happen but it's uh, it's one of those guys where let's say they you know they get rid of john because he's making too much money and they bring in a young guy right at a junior or the east coast league or the american league um because he'll do the job for cheaper well he's going to have some big shoes to fill. And I certainly, as much as I'd like to be that guy in the same breath, I wouldn't want to be because you're, you're going to have a long time before you can crack that fan base and get them to forget about John Forslund. Yeah. John Forslund is probably one of the, if not the most recognizable voice in the NHL, because every time you tune in to a Tuesday night or Wednesday night, Carolina hurricanes game, John is always the one calling the game. Yeah, for sure. I, whoever, Whoever fills it, you know, fills in that role. If, if in fact they don't renew him, I, part of me thinks that social media is going to save his job here a little bit. We've seen it before with some other things, where, mm -hmm. uh, for example, uh, you know, Brooklyn Nine Nine, the TV show, was not renewed um, at the time uh, by the original. I think it was Fox had them originally. And then NBC uh, renewed not, it, right? Was yeah, was not renewed and. Mm -hmm people on social media went absolutely bananas and <laughs> yeah. NBC picked it up and ran with it. And it's one of their biggest hit comedies. So, I mean, uh, what I, I would expect if John Forslund doesn't get renewed, there'll be another team somewhere that grabs him and puts him to work because that's too much talent to be wasted. Growing up in Winnipeg, uh, like you did, I, what team did you cheer for? Cause at the time the Jets weren't around. Well, I kind of moved around a little bit. Um, I was born in Winnipeg and, and lived there for a little bit, uh, but then moved southwest and, and into the kind of southwest corner. The Jets were there for the first kind of six years of my life or whatever. I was oh, right, probably yeah. six, when they, six when they left or so. But I mean, it's not, it's not very old, but um, I still have an original Jets jersey and, and some old original Jets merchandise. I'd gone to a few games. Uh, with my parents uh, in the original saga. I was actually at the second last game ever um, that they played before they moved to Phoenix. I mean, I don't remember it. Uh, I don't remember really anything about it. Uh, but actually, uh, ironically enough, that final year that they had played in 96, I believe it was, uh, my minor hockey team in Nipah, a small town outside of Winnipeg, 
uh, we got selected to play uh, at the intermission game, like the Timbits hockey that you yeah. see. Um, so I was technically on the ice with in the NHL when I was five years old skating around. I don't remember it, but <laughs> anyway, my parents tell me that's what happened. But um, I was a Jets fan until they left. Um, and then after that, kind of the Mighty Ducks movies were really big. Um, if you remember those, I'm sure you do. Yeah. Um, Classic movies. So I, yeah, so I kind of leaned a little bit towards the Ducks a bit for a while. And then um, my the town I was living in at the time, um, Shane Knighty was from there. He's now oh. did the TV for Winnipeg, and now he does TV for Vegas. Um, he was from there and ended up making the Ottawa Senators uh, and played there for a number of years. So kind of everybody from town was pulling for Ottawa because of him. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, I cheered for a few teams. Even right now, I mean, I, I still – I mean, I guess I'm a Winnipeg Jets fan, but – um, I mean, I, I like cheering for Vegas. You know, I, I I've cheered for different teams. I cheer for players, not teams, as uh, is, is the way I like to describe it. Because people have seen me, you know, go into Jets games where they're playing Toronto, and I've got my Jets gear on, and then Winnipeg will be playing Vegas, and I've got some Vegas gear on, and people are always asking, "Well, who do you cheer for?" I said, "I don't know, whatever I feel like." So uh, I just like good, entertaining hockey, and I cheer for players as opposed to teams. You mentioned the Mighty Ducks uh, films uh, came out when you were growing up. Uh, were, would you say those uh, series of films are your uh, favorite hockey film? Ooh, that's a tough one. I, they're definitely up there. Uh, Miracle is another good one. Slapshot, uh, another good one. Um, but yeah, I, I, if I had to you know, rank them, definitely D2 was my favorite, the second one. First one was funny. The third one was just odd uh with the whole eden hall academy thing but the second yeah. one with the junior goodwill games uh that was the best one by far and i think d2 was kind of like the perfect movie like i don't think the third one really i think the third one was kind of forced you know yeah they just they didn't they could have ended it after they won the junior yeah. goodwill games and everyone would have been happy but no i would agree those are definitely in the top five for sure did you ever uh think of yourself in the broadcasting role or did you see yourself somewhere else like in a coaching role no, I, I knew from – I mean, I was the kid where we, when we were playing street hockey. I was the one sitting on the side in the lawn chair announcing the street hockey games. Uh, so I've known from a long time. Like, you know, my mom, they, she tells me that, you know, I used to sit on the stairs at home while the Jets were on and, uh, you know, the original Jets, and I'd be sitting there yelling Team Ustalani's name over and over again. And she kind of thought, you know, he kind of is like the little radio guy up in the press box trying to – baby talk my way through some play-by-play so i i was kind of set to do it for a long time did you pick up a uh, copy of team Mussolini's book i did uh my mom actually waited in line at a uh, book signing uh to pick up the a copy for me she got it signed and everything uh and it was my christmas present this year but unfortunately i couldn't read it because my dad quickly took it out of my stocking and took it on my parents winter to my parents winter place in mexico so i Never did get to read it. Uh, I, I'm sure he brought it back, but I haven't seen it since I opened it in my Christmas present. So hopefully at some point I can read it. But uh, as far as I know, it's probably in the bottom of my parents' suitcase somewhere. Would you be able to take me through your game day routine? Sure. Um, unlike most guys, I'm pretty lucky in the fact that I'm, uh, you know, I'm not necessarily an employee of the team and I'm not necessarily an employee of the radio station. I'm technically an independent contractor. I mean, I've got workspaces, you know, both at the radio station and at the rink where I can work and, and get the job done, but I don't really have set hours. I, I don't have to be somewhere nine to five Monday to Friday or, or anything like that. It's kind of uh, free to, you know, as long as I can get my job done and, and do what's required of me, it's kind of work whenever. 
so during the week, uh, the Western Hockey League changed to mostly weekend games, very few weekday games. Okay. Um, so during the week, the team practices uh, at one o'clock. So I'll drive in and uh, watch practice, uh, visit with the players after and coaches, see what's going on, get a feel for you know who's in, who's out, what's what the week shaking up, shaping up uh, to be. Uh, so I'll do that kind of Monday through Thursday. Uh, Thursday, uh, myself and my broadcast partners, uh, we do a, a weekend preview uh, video for social media and for the team's website. Uh, so we usually shoot that during practice. We talk about upcoming opponents, uh, upcoming promotions, you know, broadcast schedule, what's going on, just to look at practice this past week, who's hurt, who's practicing, you know, who's here, who's not, that sort of thing. So we shoot that on Thursday. And then for a Friday game, I probably won't come into the rink till about well, here, I guess I'll start at home. So I'll uh, sleep in a little bit, uh, maybe around 9 o'clock. Uh, I get up, and I've got a – I wish I could show you, but I don't have a good enough Wi-Fi to show you video. But uh, I've got uh, basically a big scorebook that I get made up every year. It's got uh, basically uh, an outline of the game itself on the right-hand side and a bunch of prep work on the left-hand side, and I just fill it out for every game. Uh, so I get up on game day I'll sit at the kitchen table and yeah, at home and I'll go through that fill out my book fill out my lineup card print it uh, I built a template on Microsoft Excel for every opponent we have um, so there's a tab for each team so for example if we're playing Winnipeg on a Friday night I'll open up the Winnipeg tab I'll just go through it update let's say they've made a trade and this player's not here anymore or they've called someone up or this guy's hurt you know I'll make little notes in there and then I'll print it off in my printer and make sure I've got it. Um, then I usually uh, try and sneak in a little game day nap, usually from about noon to 1.30. Uh, that way I know I'm sharp for game time. Uh, shower, get my suit on, uh, and then head out the door. It's about a 40-minute drive to the rink for me. Um, I usually get to try to get to the rink about 3.30-ish. Um, if I have to set anything up, let's say we've been on the road, uh, I'll set up my gear, which doesn't take long. If we've been at home, my gear's already set up. Uh, I just kind of take time to kind of get the booth the way I want it. Um, make sure everything's kind of make sure I got water in the fridge, make sure all the power is working. Everything's all connected internet, that sort of thing. And then I'll head down to the coach's office. We have got an agreement with uh, the, our coaching staff that, you know, their door is open from four fifteen to four forty-five, uh, So I can usually go in there and interview them, visit with them, chat, see what's going on. I try and grab an interview from one of them. Uh, and then I head down the hall to the visiting dressing room. Usually they're, arriving about five I'll visit with their coach get a quick interview uh, and then after that I go up I import those interviews in my computer do any editing I need then I go down and eat in the media room uh, scouts room they've usually got food for yeah wherever uh, you are most buildings have nice catered meals have a little bite to eat and then my color guy and my broadcast uh, analyst they show up we usually sit go through some notes who's got you know what stories they're telling what are broadcast is going to look like and then usually by then it's close to game time i'll just go sit up in my perch talk to my producer and then it's usually game time so it all happens so quick uh game ends uh and then when the game ends and our post game show is complete i usually write a post game story uh in the rink and i'll post it wherever it needs to be posted uh whether it's the team website or wherever uh and then i do up a couple of audio reports for the radio station uh, and then head home i'm usually home by midnight or one o'clock on a home game so that's kind of a look at my day. It, it's not as extensive as some guys. Some guys, um, you know, have a, a lot more to do. I am in charge of the entire media kit and stats package for the broadcasters and coaches, but I usually do that 
the week of leading up to the game. So that's a big spreadsheet that gets updated after every game, but I try to have that done well in advance. So I'm not screwing around with it on game day. You mentioned that you also take note of uh, who's in and who's out. That brings me to the question. How do you like the NHL's ruling on the unable to participate? Well, I mean, from a media perspective, I, I get it where media guys, TV guys are upset that they can't have the information. I, I get that. You know, you're just trying to do your job. Yeah. But I also get it from the other side too, where, you know, if, if let's use Toronto and Montreal for an example, uh, you know, NHL teams, if, if Austin Matthews misses a Friday night game and they say, because it's a sore wrist. Okay. And they make that public. Well, on Saturday, if he's in the lineup, where do you think every Montreal defender is going to be slashing him? They're going to be slashing him in the wrist because they know that it's already buggered up and they want him out of the game. So, I mean, I understand that perspective too. I mean, I'm not suggesting that, you know, guys try to intentionally hurt each other, but if you know that a guy's got a bummed ankle or, you know, a bummed wrist and one little whack to the wrist might get him out of the game, I mean, who knows? It's hockey, right? Things happen. So. I get it from both sides. I mean, the whole COVID thing makes everything that much more complicated, but mm-hmm. especially when it's an illness that could affect his wife or his kids or his family, I, I think the NHL, you know, they, they don't want that information out there. Um, you know, even the Austin Matthews stuff, I know Kyle Dubas was pretty upset, the GM of the Leafs, that that was public before it should have been. Um, you know, you're seeing in baseball, guys are coming out on their own and saying, hey, look, I had it. This is what I went through. If a player wants to talk about it, then great, but I don't think the media should be fishing for it. Yeah, and like Steve Simmons, I'm sure you saw on Twitter, just got absolutely ripped apart for what he what he did, and rightfully so because he I don't think he had the permission from Austin Matthews to report on it. Well, I would have seen it, but uh, I've been blocked by Steve Simmons uh, for some reason on Twitter. I don't ever like I try not to ever get into any sort of unless it's for like comedy comedic effect. I try not to get into any, you know, debates on Twitter because it's an internet debate. I mean, there's you no way to know no the loser. person's intentions. Yeah, and tone tone can be taken out of context. Oh, for so, sure, yeah. Um, I must have said something to him somewhere along the line, but I've been blocked by him, so I just unfollowed him. Uh, I can't see his stuff anyway. So, uh, but yeah, every once in a while, I get a message from a buddy that says, "Did you see Steve Simmons?" I said, "No," and they'll send me some <laughs> screenshots. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I I get it. Guys are trying to do their job, but I mean. Uh, everyone I find that there are a lot of media guys that are out there trying to be the next Bob McKenzie and you know when you're in that role you're gonna piss some people off so yeah I try not to do that I try to just keep my you know and for example you know Brandon if if we've got a guy you know if I notice on Monday that you know John Smith or whatever example player isn't on the ice for practice you know I'll ask the coach hey what's wrong with this guy and he'll say oh you know he's got a you know he's got a bummed ankle but he'll and then I'll ask him is it public knowledge is he walking around on crutches because if he's walking around on crutches and people in the rink can see him on crutches then I can say that it's you know an ankle injury or lower body injury but if it's something they want to be kept quiet you know they tell me you know we we keep a regular group chat going our coaches trainers everything we know we all are on the same page about what information gets out there and stuff so uh you know some reporters that just do that to stir the pot and that's just not not my style yeah, you have to be respectful of everyone's space, you know? Oh, for sure. And who knows? I mean, you know, it's one thing. It also looks – I get it. Like, you know, if, if a reporter doesn't say, you know, that John Smith has a broken ankle and then he's walking around the rink in crutches, everyone's like, oh, it's a shitty reporter because he didn't tell us that he has a broken yeah, leg, but exactly. we can all see it. 
But in the same breath, if you were told by the GM, you know, don't say anything, well, then you're kind of in a tough spot. So um, it, it's, it's a fine line. And especially with the COVID stuff, you know, I think the NHL's done a pretty good job. I, I've got a few good friends that, that are in the inner circle of the NHL. Uh, one of my good buddies uh, runs the communications department for the National Predators. And, uh, you know, I've been talking to him regularly uh, about what they're going through. And, um, you know, by all accounts, the NHL's done a pretty good job of everything. So uh, I wish them the best of luck. I really hope it works out. But um, in the same breath, uh, you know, it's all about safety right now. And if it doesn't work, well, I think a lot of people would understand. So we'll Do see how think- it all shakes oh, out. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. You should finish. No, no. I it, we should, it, Well, it's one of those things where I would love to watch five games in a day, but you know, if it's going to jeopardize a bunch of people's health, I, I don't think anyone wants that. Right. So. I was just going to say, like, do you think the WHL would follow the NHL intently and try to use some of the protocols that are in place by the NHL? I think so. My, I don't think you can have a hub city. Um, just from a, travel perspective i don't know if it would work at the western league level because you don't have the tv deal to, to pay mm. the bills like the nhl does yeah um I, you need to have fans in the building the commissioner has already told us um you know in a preseason press conference there a couple weeks ago that you have to have 50 percent in every building minimum in order for really? the league to be successful so you need to have you know four provinces and two states all agree to allow oh, stadiums man. to be half full now, that seems like a bit of a stretch right now on July 17th or 18th, whatever the heck the day is today, which, you know, we're a long way from that. Um, but I know that there's a lot of things, you know, especially in Brandon, of course, our, our owner and governor is Kelly McCrimmon, the GM of the Vegas Golden Knights. And, um, you know, we've got a lot of alumni in the NHL uh, currently and players that are involved in camps and stuff. And there's going to be a lot of discussion about what teams can do to, to protect their players and, and how to keep, you know, dress rooms clean and, benches clean and keep the fans safe and I know the NHL has been sharing all this with not only Hockey Canada but the CHL and and then you know Canadian College NCAA the USHL all of the feeder leagues American League everything like that the NHL is going to set the bar and and other leagues are going to follow so um, there's a lot of pressure right now in the NHL but so far I think they're doing a pretty good job what are you able to tell OHL fans or QMJ, QMJHL fans about a player like Ridley Grieg, who, like me, I don't get to see that often? Well, I, I think if, you know, if, if there's fans out there that don't know who the Brandon Weekings are, I think whenever they hold this year's NHL draft, which by the sounds of it is going to be in October, you're going to know Braden Schneider and you're going to know Ridley Gregg by the time the NHL draft is over because both those guys are going to be top 15 picks. Schneider, in my opinion, is a top 10 pick. Uh, I know that other, you know, Craig Button, Bob McKenzie had him in the 11, 12, 13 range. Uh, I may be a little biased. I see him a lot, but uh, a guy like Ridley Gregg, his dad, you know, is a long time NHL. played for the Flyers. Uh, you know, he still scouts for the Flyers and their management team, but uh, Ridley's a kid that you don't see very much of. I, I would compare him to maybe a more skilled Jerome McGinley in a sense that, you know, Iggy, loved the rough stuff he would scrap he would hit hard he would grind it out he would you know, block shots kill penalties that's the type of guy Ridley is but Ridley's got a little more skill he he can shoot the puck like an absolute laser beam he's got super silky hands uh but he loves to mix it up he's been he was suspended like four times this year for what? maybe some questionable calls he hits hard <laughs> he fights uh, he likes the rough stuff and a lot of players hate playing against him because he's got a shit-eating grin on his mouth on his face all the time he just has a face 
that annoys the other team and it gets under guys' skin. They chase him around, take penalties, and then he scores on the power play. So he's got a good mix of skill and pest, and some team is going to be very lucky to draft him here whenever the NHL draft uh, ends up going. Okay, so going with the characteristics that you just explained with him being such a tough player to play against, my, my first thing that comes to mind is a Brad Marchand or a Brandon Gallagher. Yeah. Do you agree with those uh, comparisons? I, I feel like if you could put the two guys together, because I don't think he's quite as hated as Brad Marchand. I think, you know, Marchand definitely has carved out that niche. But he is a pest, and he's annoying, kind of like Gallagher. You know, I, he's not certainly not a tough guy by any means, but he, he has he has a swagger about him that just drives guys nuts on the ice. And I don't know what it is, but, you know, I've seen him. He, he just – he says things quietly and with a straight face. He's not one of them big, you know, Charles Barkley, Dennis Rodman type trash talkers, but he's the type of guy that will, like, sneak up to you on a face-off circle and say something, and by the time you realize what he said, the puck's been dropped, you're bad, and you've already forgotten what you're doing, and he's got the puck, and he's gonna, he's in a scoring position. So, I mean, he's so smart, he's so skilled, and he's such a pest, and he loves the tough stuff. I mean, if, if, I'm, if I'm the Philadelphia Flyers with a mid-round, you know, middle-of-the-pack pick, knowing that his dad played for you for 10 years, and you know all about the family, he's got a sister that plays Division One in the States and a sister that's playing CIS in Canada. He's an athletic family. That's a steal. Uh, you take him put him in Philadelphia the fans will already love him and it's a to me he's a Philadelphia Flyer Boston Bruin type player well I mean he definitely seems like that like a broad street bully type of guy you know yeah and he's a he's a pest like when you think of players that fit in in, in Philadelphia to me he's a perfect fit now how fascinating is it how fascinating is it commentating on the same team as a guy or two guys like Brian Schneider who could go in the first round it's awesome because uh, a lot of the clips of their stuff, goals, hits, fights, end up on all the highlight reels on TSN or Sportsnet. So you know, I'll be sitting at home and they'll be talking about the draft and I'll hear myself in the background on the TV. So from that perspective, it's kind of cool. Uh, but no, every night it's, it's fun. Uh, you get to meet a lot of scouts. Um, I know one night, I can't remember where we were. I want to say we were in Seattle uh, and there were 34 NHL scouts at the game. Uh, which is odd because, you know, there's only 31 teams, but some teams sent two guys yeah. uh, to watch these guys. And you sit down in the media room beforehand and the scouts come in and eat and you just see guys that, you know, a lot of former players that you used to watch, you know, when I was a kid, you know, guys like Todd Harvey with the Sharks or, uh, you know, Thomas Steen with the Winnipeg Jets or different guys like that. Mike Keane, uh, you know, who won a cup with, uh, with Montreal and, 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 uh, and Dallas. You know, you see those guys, you get to chat with them. You know, what do you think of Ridley? What do you think of Braden? And then it creates good conversation on the air, too, because, you know, if a guy like Mike Keene, who's scouting for Colorado, says, uh, says, you know, this is what I like about Ridley and, and this is what we see in him, you know, I can talk about that on the air. And I can go on and say, you know what, I was talking to a scout from Colorado today, and he said, this is what he likes about Ridley. Creates some good stories. So it's, uh, it's fun. I, I like, I like calling games when those guys are out there and it certainly makes for uh, interesting conversation pieces on the air. Now this year was uh, obviously something that we will never forget in the near future. How did you find out the season was going to be canceled? Well, Thursday, the Thursday before it was March 12th. Uh, we had team picture day, uh, no practice coaches. Uh, we were getting ready uh, for a home game uh, on the Friday night. So the coaches said, you know what, we'll have a light skate. 
um, after the team picture, and then everyone can go home and whatever. We'd heard some rumblings because the night before was the night Rudy Gobert in the NBA had had that incident uh, where he had tested positive and the NBA canceled the game right as it was starting. Um, so we had heard some rumblings a little bit, but nobody was really sure what was going on. And then uh, that night, Thursday night, they had postponed Friday's games the league had and so a bunch of us obviously I mentioned our group chat amongst the broadcasters earlier we were talking about you know what's this mean what's happening where what what's going to go on and then it was uh, about Friday morning sometime the next day uh, I was told that uh, there's going to be a press conference uh, or a press release that they were going to postpone the rest of the season for a uh, you know a, a period of time to reassess and see what was happening and uh, you know I got the the release read it you know filed a couple stories and did what I had to do from a radio perspective and then kind of just sat there and wondering what's going to happen. Uh, and then just stayed in touch with guys over the next couple of weeks. And then when it ultimately came down that they were canceling the season for good, um, you know, I was just kind of sitting at home. I mean, when your whole life is getting up and going to the rink every day, uh, sometimes you're just you're looking for something to do. Right. And when they canceled the season, you know, I'd gone from every day I was preparing for the playoffs. I was building yeah. audio. I was building intros. I was redoing my scorebook. I was, you know, I had uh, picked up a new suit, you know, I was getting all pumped up for the playoffs because we were supposed to, we were scheduled to play Winnipeg, which was going to be a great rivalry. Uh, you know, I was really looking forward to it. And all of a sudden one day the rugs pulled out from underneath you and you're not playing. So I went, you know, there was a couple of weeks of real unsure what's happening. You know, my, is my contract, you know, what's going to happen? Am I going to get laid off like everybody else? Or am I going to be able to keep working? And what's the plan? And, you know, after some meetings and some discussions, you know, we, we decided to stay status quo. I mean, myself and, and a couple of my broadcast partners, we still do a weekly podcast as well. We've got Wade Redden coming on this week. And, um, you know, we've been able to pump out some content that way. Uh, I know, You'll laugh at this, but uh, this week I'm uh, taking the mascot suit uh, out to my farm, and we're going to do a photo shoot of our mascot doing some farm chores. That is uh, great. <laughs> and, and, and we're going to use it as a social media post of here's what Willie has been doing since COVID and uh, make it look, you know, he'll have coveralls on and he'll be feeding the cows and feeding the chickens and it'll make for some funny online content. But, you know, it's a little different. Your, your prep work changes a little bit. Now we're talking about next year and, and how we're going to make that work. But, yeah, it's been a little odd I will admit luckily for me like I said you know I, I live on a farm we got lots going on and you know with the fire department and you know I with some good buddies working on the golf course I go out there and help out every once in a while and uh you know I try to keep myself busy so it's odd it's odd timing it's everything about it strange but uh oh well it's, what else can you do right that's correct uh, what is the name of the podcast uh it's called the weekly harvest uh you can get it wherever you get your podcast it's on uh it's on Apple. It's on Spotify. Uh, it's on YouTube. Uh, we record live every Monday night, uh, and then it gets posted in podcast form on Tuesdays. Uh, we've had some. Uh, obviously, the Weekings have a great alumni, including you know Ray Ferraro. Yeah. Uh, Darren Dreger was the radio guy for the Weekings. Darren Millard, uh, he was the radio guy for the Weekings. Uh, we've had some great alumni on, and uh, you know, last week, uh, who was that? Uh, last week we had. Uh, oh, I can't even remember. Oh, we had. Um, we had Ray Ferraro on, uh, we had Darren Dreger on, we've had, um, well, we've had Kelly McCrimmon on a bunch of times and, you know, we've, we've, we've gotten about 25, 26 episodes in and we we're just trying to find our way similar to what you're doing. And, um, we're lucky that we've got a, a broadcast company that's, you know, that owns the radio station that's really taken it and run with it. And 
they promote it, they market it. Uh, we've had a ton of listenership and a ton of downloads and it's been really fun. So you mentioned that, you know, Brandon was getting ready for the playoffs against the Winnipeg ice. Uh, it would have been a huge rivalry and something definitely WHL fans would have uh, looked forward to. What would uh, be some challenges that Brandon would have run into? Well, Winnipeg was a better team than I, I think a lot of people expected them to be. I mean, they were fast, they were skilled, and they were greasy. Uh, I think it caught a lot of people by surprise considering that Kootenai, you know, the team that they relocated from, had been so bad for so long, people kind of didn't take them seriously. And, and they came in, and, you know, in their first year, they did a great job. I mean, they're playing in a, a makeshift building right now until there's this being built. Um, and so it's smaller, it's dungy, it's kind of gross. And uh, they took it to their advantage. It's a small building. They, they played rough. They played tumble. And uh, they gave Brandon some trouble. So, I mean, uh, had, had, for example, they played each other so many times. Had the playoff series gone seven games, they would have played 13 times. Or sorry, they'd have played 17 times that season. Oh, my uh, God. Because there was 10 in the regular season. There would have been seven playoff games, and they met twice in the preseason. So technically, it would have been 19 games between the two teams this season had the series That's been played and gone seven. So there was lots of fights. They didn't like each other. There's two sets of brothers. Uh, each team had two sets of brothers on opposite teams. So uh, there was some family hatred. There was some rough stuff. It was, uh, it was pretty interesting. So I was really looking forward to it. The fans were packing into the buildings. It was going to be an absolute blast, and it's really, really unfortunate that it happened the way it did. Do you know why the Winnipeg Ice doesn't just partner with the Jets and use the Bell MTS Center? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's hard to say. I think from a business perspective, the Jets and the Moose are, are doing their own thing. Oh, right. Yeah, um, I forgot about the Moose. I, I feel like they didn't want the competition. I, I, think it, I think they'd explored it once or twice before, similar to the way Edmonton and Calgary have partnerships, you know, with the Flames and the Oilers and the Hitmen and the Oil Kings. Uh, but it never really came to fruition. And, and the, the owners of the ice, I don't know if they, you know, I think they wanted to just do it on their own. Um, you know, it would have made sense but uh, to be in that building. But in the same breath, I don't think it would have because you'd have been competing because the moose and the ice, same price points, different type of hockey, right? I mean, yeah. for $15, you can go to a Western Hockey League game and watch teenagers, or you can go to watch an American League game in a nice rink with pro players. So, they're kind of competing against one another a little bit for that market. I mean, obviously it's a Jets town first and foremost, everyone's going to the Jets first, but it's between the moose and the ice for the other half of the hockey fan market. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I mean, they seem to get along fine. They've got a decent partnership, but they don't really get along in the same breath. If you know what I'm saying, they, they're, they're friends, but they're, they're kind of like neighbors that are constantly competing to see whose lawn looks nicer. It would be the best way to put it. They're friendly to each other, but, they don't really like each other. Is there a certain barn in the WHO that gives you chills from the fans every time you do play-by-play? Prince Albert or Seattle. Uh, Prince Albert is uh, an old, tiny rink. It's one of the oldest rinks in the league, and the fans are bananas. Like, I can't even begin to explain to you the fans in PA. The building is so small that, you know, the press box where I'm calling games, I can reach out basically and touch the glass on the penalty box. Like, I'm right above the penalty box. So my ice mics and, and my ambient mics pick up everything, every single cuss word that gets thrown out by the fans. Uh, and they're crazy. They love the Raiders. That is a, it's a small building. They pack 3,000 in there, 2,500, whatever it is. And it is nuts from opening puck drop till the end of the night. Uh, and it's so much fun in there. 
Uh, they won you know, the league last year in those, those playoff games. You couldn't squeeze another person in there if you tried. Uh, and Seattle's the same way. Uh, it's a, obviously a much nicer building, but uh, we played there last year on Tuesday night, which was a student night. And they've got a couple of universities around there. And it was packed with students. Uh, they, they just, it's like $2 beers, two little hot dogs. Everyone's hammered drunk and they're just screaming all night and they just yell at you. And it's so much fun. So Seattle or PA definitely are two of my favorite places to go. Now, how weird would it be for you to commentate off a monitor next year? Cause that seems like it's going in that direction. Oh boy. I mean, if I have to do it, I will. Uh, if, do I want to do it? No. Yeah. I don't um, think anyone wants to do it. No, it just doesn't have the same feel. Um, but I mean, whatever, I guess, you, you know, it's the way it's going. Um, you know, I, I've been studying up a little bit on the Korean baseball league, uh, watching them do some play by play from their home studios of the baseball. And it just doesn't have the same effect, but I mean, you got to adapt and go with, go with the flow. So, uh, we haven't discussed it. Uh, we have a meeting lined up here for the middle of August to kind of determine, you know, if we do come back to play October 2nd, like they plan, how are we going to go about this? Um, but uh, nobody's throwing that out there yet because I don't think anyone wants to. The MLB is pumping in is pumping in artificial crowd noise. What are your thoughts on that? And could you expect the WHO to go down that route? I don't know what I think of that because, you know, in the Western Hockey League, sometimes on a Wednesday night in February when it's minus 40, you know, you've got a half full building anyway. So, and they weren't pumping in crowd noise. So now all of a sudden, if you've got a half full building, because they're only allowed to fill it halfway and then they start pumping in crowd noise. I don't know. I personally, if they can't have fans in the building at all, the league won't go. You just can't pay the bills. That's true. So if you cannot pay the bills. So unless there's fans in the building, you can't play. So I don't think they'll ever need to because you're not going to see them play with an empty building. I, I really hope that they never pump artificial audio in, but I can't see it happening because if there's no fans in the building at all, I don't think they're playing. Well, we see right now with the CFL, like they, they, it's almost week nine now. And you, we, I haven't heard anything on my end. I'm pretty close contact with Matthew Shinetti as I interviewed him on this podcast before. Um, you know, and I don't think they can play without fans. I think they're very similar situations. The CHL and the, the CFL, their markets, you know, you, you need the, the ticket revenue. You need people coming through the door and buying popcorn, buying beers. Uh, I, I read somewhere, I think it was in the Regina paper, that the, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are on pace to lose $30 million this year because obviously they built a new stadium, mm-hmm. no season, no concerts, no anything in their building. I mean, it doesn't sound promising. Uh, I'd hate to see it, you know, cripple a league moving forward. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that there's going to be some serious struggles here from from some teams in, across the CHL and, and the CFL and other sports leagues too. But uh, it's just a strange time. I mean, nobody really knows what's going on. And I mean, luckily we were slowly getting some sports back, but you know, from a junior perspective, like, you know, for me, it's, it's my job on the line. So I hope it works, but you know, at the end of the day, uh, I, I really don't know. I, I don't know the answers. There's, there's higher paid people than me that are making the decisions. I'm just going to go along with it. Now you're no businessman, but how do you expect these leagues to potentially come back from this catastrophe? Oh, I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, like I said, I, there are smarter people than me out there that, you know, are getting paid big bucks to figure this out. But I mean, I, I look at it from any business perspective. I mean, if you, you know, you look at your 
say your neighborhood corner store where you go and pick up a, you know, pop and a bag of chips, you know, on the way home to watch Netflix. I mean, if, if they had to close for a year, um, you know, and then just open back up, I mean, it's difficult. How do you do it? Right. How do you pay your bills? How do you keep the lights on? How do you do any of that? So it's no different, a hockey team or a football team compared to any other business. And right now it's, it's not looking good, but um, you know, I think Canada's done a pretty good job. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Now you've called playoff games for the Brandon Wheat Kings, correct? Yeah, <laughs> strangely enough, only a couple of them. Uh, my first year, uh, the team was swept by the Medicine Hat Tigers. Uh, my second year, they beat the Tigers in six and then lost to the Lethbridge Hurricanes in six. Uh, my third year so was weird. last year. My was last year, and they did not make the playoffs. And then this year, they were scheduled to make the playoffs, and the season gets canceled. So I've called 13 – I've called 17 playoff games in four years, which seems like a lot, but uh, four games my first year, uh, 12 my second year, and – actually, no, it'd be 16 games, yeah. So four my first year, 12 my second year, and then none last year and none this year. So uh, realistically, uh, Brandon's only missed the playoffs three times since I've been alive. They've, they've been that consistent. Uh, but two of those years have been with me as the radio guy. <laughs> so uh, either I'm really bad luck or I just have some really bad timing. How special is it during that season to call playoff games? Oh, playoffs is the best. I mean, it, that the Keystone Center in Brandon, it's one of the coolest buildings in the league. It's old. It, it's got so much character. The benches are on our opposite sides, which you don't see very often. The fans are nuts, uh, especially in the playoff time. You get people in costumes and people bringing drums and uh, musical instruments and it's just crazy in there. I mean, I remember I wasn't working for the team yet, but I'd, I'd come home on a vacation to watch a few of the playoff games against Seattle when they won. And I've never heard that building like that before. I mean, it just rumbled right through your feet up through your bones. So um, I was really looking forward to a series against Winnipeg, especially because um, I know there would have been a lot of visiting fans come in and it would have been crazy, but whatever. I mean, you got to let it see, you got to let it roll the way it does. And hopefully next year, you know, we can move on and, get a long playoff run and get back on the championship train. You've been sharing a lot of stories, this podcast, which I, I appreciate. I love them. Uh, but do you have one specific funny story to tell the viewers? Oh boy. Um, what's well, Brandon related or it could be just about your life. Well, I see, I'd rather it be Brandon uh, weeking related, but it could be, you know, just in your daily life. Well, how, I mean, how about this? I mean, you talk about bad luck. Okay. So, my first, you know, I kind of grew up, you know, in the Brandon area and it was kind of my lifelong dream to be the radio guy for the Brandon Week Kings. So when I got the job, I thought it was great. You know, I was going into my first season, you know, I did four preseason games on the radio to get prepared. And I thought, okay, I'm good. I'll, I'll figure this out. Um, home opener, my first season, 50th anniversary season, the Brandon Week Kings, 5,500 people in the building, sold out, huge, beautiful ceremony, unveiling the championship from the year before banners fall down alumni are back ceremonial face-off beautiful well about halfway through the game they start stopping the game and i couldn't figure out why but from my angle i couldn't see it but there was a thick layer of fog hanging over the ice the humidity from outside it was like 40 degree day oh in september God. and the humidity was 100 percent. the building's air conditioners couldn't keep up so there was a thick layer of fog over the ice where the referees couldn't see what was going on and neither could the players so they would stop for a while. The Zamboni would come out and drive some laps. The players would skate around. The fog would go away, and then they'd keep playing. Well, they ended up canceling the game in the middle of the game. They just said, nope, we can't play. We're done. 
So at the time, it was 2-1 for Moose Jaw uh, when they canceled the game. And they couldn't reschedule it until December 9th. So two months later, Brandon's playing Moose Jaw, and they have to complete that first game and then play a full game after that, which is just odd. Okay, so that was my first ever game that got canceled halfway through. Oh, my. After your entire <laughs> lifetime of me. Yeah, so then my second game, the next night, is in Moose Jaw. We go to Moose Jaw. I start the broadcast, and everything's clipping along perfectly. Uh, the, uh, the hardwired internet drops out, and I had to do my whole second game in the Western Hockey League from my cell phone because my equipment wouldn't connect. So that's my first two games of the league, and both were a complete disaster. Uh, I finished the season. Not, not many other goofy stories happened. My second year, uh, three members of the team and one member of the coaching staff test positive for mumps in a mumps outbreak across the Western Hockey League. Yes, and players I have to that. go into quarantine. Players have to go into quarantine, including myself, because there was no record of me ever having the vaccine when I was a kid. Uh, so I had to sit in quarantine for a couple of days. And uh, yeah, and then so that happened my second year. Nothing really my third year. And then, of course, the season gets canceled to COVID my fourth year. So I've had some bad luck. Uh, I've had some strange things happen, but uh, it's all fun. You know, hopefully moving forward, I don't have any more goofy stories to tell. Well, Brandon, last question here on the podcast. Do you have any advice uh, you'd like to offer for aspiring sports journalists or sports broadcasters? Uh, don't be afraid to, to do a little bit of everything. And, uh, you know, I know my first job ever, uh, I was getting paid 600 bucks every two weeks to read the weather and the news uh, at a small town radio station in Saskatchewan. And, I was about as far away from, you know, sports as I could get. But, uh, you know, I learned a lot and I was covering some court stuff. I was covering some city council and, uh, you know, I took it all in stride and, you know, never complained and got my opportunity and took it. So uh, I tell every young, you know, young guy or girl that's asked what, you know, for a piece of advice, you got to just take every job and, and do the best you can, even if you don't think it's even remotely close to what you want to do, because someday it may pay off. Uh, it's better off to be good at a lot of things than really good at a few things because you know if somebody says hey I need somebody that can do this if you're good at a lot of things you might be able to just jump in and find yourself in a good spot so don't be afraid to chip in wherever and, and like I said earlier you know if you ever you know get a, a, you know a job in, in the hockey world or the baseball or football world don't be afraid to pick up a bag and help load the bus because it, it'll all come back and, and help you out later on so well, I'd like to thank the Brandon Wheat Kings play-by-play, Brandon Crow, for joining me on today's podcast. Thank you again, Brandon. Yeah, no problem. Uh, best of luck moving forward, and uh, appreciate this.